Welcome to Real Voices of the Game production. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm here with my co-host and star of this show, Sal Marinello. This is the Hot Corner with Coach Sal. This will be our Friday edition here. It'll get released a little later this evening. But uh, Sal, welcome back to your show, and just kind of some good news for our audience. They're paying attention. We hit over 13,000 subscribers today, right before you called in, 13,001. Nice. Right over that mark, and continue to encourage our listeners, supporters to Download, listen, like, subscribe so we get credit for it. You can find us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. And then please continue to engage us on Instagram, Twitter, and especially Facebook. been doing a, uh, an answer to a question every morning. Uh, this morning was on Ego. And I uh, got, already got a bunch of great responses from that. So we appreciate that support. And we'll continue to answer every question. I have to do 172 questions later today, and they keep coming in. So um, I, I cut it off at about 2 o'clock and then answer the rest the next day. But uh, Sal, welcome back to your show. I know you had, you had a trip to Maryland recently, right, to see one of your boys play lacrosse? Yep. Uh, one of my uh, twin sons plays uh, lacrosse at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Uh, he plays defense there. They're off to a great start. And as a matter of fact, Dave, they're the number one defense in Division One lacrosse oh, wow. this morning. So, you know, it was, it was nice for us to have a, a place like that be interested in him because, you know, it's like back in our day, Penn State was linebacker U and over the last, you know, 10 years or so since uh, Coach Moran has been there, they've got a reputation of being a defensive uh, powerhouse. So it's nice that he's in a place like that. And playing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And defense travels well, too, no matter what sport it is. It doesn't matter. Well, I, we had a kid, I had a kid uh, that we coached in high school. One of my football players, when we went to the state finals, he used to say defense never slumps. So uh, we love that. And I, I kind of always have thought, thought that. Yeah, there's a, there's a toughness factor to, to defense. It's basically people always ask offense is principles, defense is rules. If you understand alignment and assignment, you can defend. At least you have a shot anyway. You've got to impose your will on it. So we've got a couple big topics to cover today. I know uh, we, we had shared an article back and forth about whiskey being the healthiest drink. Um, out there, and uh, you had a, a nice workout with another primetime athlete that we share in common. And then I, I read that article that you wrote uh, regarding, uh, the, I think the title had to do with building bridges. And right. it had a kind of foundational approach on, a foundational and an accountability approach, I should say, on, on how we build our major league pitchers. So where would you like to start? Well, let's go with the whiskey because it's kind of a fun article. And at, at while it's uh, it's as a, a guy who, who appreciates a drink of bourbon every once in a while, um, it's it's fun to see that. And, and it also points out a lot of the the problems slash slash is, issues with all of these kinds of stories where you'll hit on a hot substance or a hot food item. And it's, you know, if you look through your Google feed of all the news stories, especially if you regularly look for anything nutritionally every day, there's articles that tell you the same thing about another food. And it's it's usually a lot of uh, assumption and um, they take us a, a little bit of truth and build a whole lot of stuff around it based on assumptions. And this is no different, uh, actually. So I saw the at the end, obviously, there was the catch, the catch at the end where they were trying to get people to 
order a subscription of whatever brand of whiskey that was. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, but I mean, even like, so it, it, I was reading another article, you'll see these seven top foods, every new or, or seven top foods recommended by either a registered dietitian or, um, uh, or cardiologist. And it's the same nonsense. Most of it is, again, supposition. Most of it, here's where they get us, Dave, on, oh, well, fruits and vegetables are healthy. No one is denying that fruit, fruits and vegetables don't have healthy profiles of uh, nutrients, vitamins, minerals, etc. The key word there is profile. And we'll get back to the whiskey in a minute because there's an important thing in here that is a thread that runs through all these kinds of stories. They talk about this profile. Now, that means it, it contains a good mix of things. Let's keep it simple. The problem is in all of these fruits and vegetables, let's look at kale as a great example. You would have to eat like uh, a dump truck full of kale to equate, I'm exaggerating a little bit, to equate to having a, an eight ounce, six ounce portion of beef or sardines or salmon. So you get good things in fruits and vegetables, but you don't get enough to eat. Uh, to, you don't get enough in the normal portion to make any kind of appreciable difference. So the so eating it exclusively is not as healthy as kind of mixing it up. Well, not even that. You can there's you know there yes they're it, they're good for you, but those things themselves cannot be the making up the bulk of your diet. And it goes back to the the concept of a superfood. And then we'll get back to the whiskey. I promise. The concept of a superfood is a marketing production, marketing creation. And I've read articles that said if there were superfoods, it wouldn't be blueberries, it wouldn't be kale, it would be sardines. It would. Some people would say salmon because it has the mixture of the fats you want to get and the calories you need, the amount of protein you need, as well as a wide range of nutrients. So just keep that in mind. Uh, and then now we're going to get back to the whiskey. One of the things they, they harp on here, which you'll see in all of these articles is antioxidants. And to keep it short, there really is very little research that shows outside of a lab antioxidants in the body do what they claim it does. They do. Yeah. It's, and they're, they're saying, I know there was a couple of anecdotal comments to oldest living lady in England, 112, said she drank whiskey every night. And <laughs> I laugh at those stories because, you know, she also could have, you know, walk to get her mail every day too. And they could have linked it to the, well, they've had stories of people like in their nineties and a hundred smoking. So you're going to, you know, the problem with these anecdotes is there's always an anecdote that can counter or trump the other anecdote. So what's that uh, causation doesn't always equal correlation. Is that correct? The yeah, correlation doesn't equal causation. Yeah. But I, I shared with you off the air and I don't mind sharing it on the air. We're actually doing a a project right now and I, I, it's not completed yet. So I'll let you know in 22 days, we, uh, there's a, there's a food scientist, Mike Adams that is a natural news. He calls himself the health ranger. That's what he does. He does science based on food and, and he's been pretty good to follow, but we have a uh, hundred proof vodka in Mason jars and we have rosemary in there. And based on his study and research, when it's done now, we're not ingesting that we're not eating that. Um, but it serves as kind of a an antiseptic, a salve, uh, or am I saying I read a salve? Yeah, yeah. And wounds and things like that. And with how much activity we have with, with sports, um, and even myself with doing ultra marathons, I'm going to try it out on me first. 
before I, uh, you know, start experimenting on the children, just so, you know, anybody out there, full disclaimer. So, um, but yeah, we're trying that out. It's, it's, uh, it was something that we researched. He had, he had documented his work on it and made the suggestion. So I figured we'd try it. So I went and got a, said as high proof as possible, hundred proof vodka. We filled up mason jars, put rosemary in it. We grow rosemary here at the house. So it wasn't like I had to do anything extra and, and we're going to see how it works out. I'm not going to like go intentionally, you know, scrape my knee up, but going to see how it works. And I'm sure it's going to burn a little bit. Yeah, that's uh, that'll be interesting to see how that works. So that's not for that's not for an anti, uh, anti-inflammatory like a sore knee. This is for this is for like if your son slides and or yep. you get an open like an open scrape. Yep, it's for uh, to to heal. Um, yeah, not to be ingested, not to be uh, not for soreness body uh, body parts, but in case there's a cut scrape, um, things like that. So. Well, well I'll be curious to see that. And, and and I think, you know, whether or not you'd be interested in it, I'm sure there's a drink somewhere that's made with rosemary infused vodka. So you probably <laughs> serve uh, two purposes with that. If you're not going to drink it, I bet you someone would take it on you. My neighbors were checking that out in the, in the cause we keep our garage open sometimes because we're working out and it's in the corner. So the concept, the higher proof is going to the higher alcohol content is going to assist in the healing process. That's what that's what the uh, his study showed anyway. So well, you know, it'd be interesting if you try this. If you try to get a bottle of Everclear, because Everclear, I believe, is double is like almost 180 proof, I think, and it's not that expensive either. So it'd be interesting to see if the vodka works. What if if anything, if the difference would be with Everclear, almost as like a another level of, uh, you know. Is that, and this is going to sound naive, is that a form of vodka ever? Yeah, that, no, it's grain, it's considered grain alcohol. Oh, so um, it's like really the hardcore, like you cannot, you cannot drink it. Um, uh, you cannot drink it straight. You'll, you'll get really screwed up. Yeah. And that was, that was something I didn't ask. Cause he specifically kept saying vodka, vodka, vodka. So I didn't ask about yeah. alternatives. So when you sent the whiskey article, I'm like, huh, it's all uh I'm wondering what the difference is with just the vodka, why he chose that. I'll have to ask him. Probably it's cheap and it's clear and it's whatever. But I, I, my my guess, my question would be, does the alcohol, is there a limit to the amount of alcohol content that is going to give you an improvement? Because like I said, grain alcohol, I believe, is 180, 170 proof, which is double like your typical 80 proof vodka. So, Yeah. No, it's, uh, I'll have to check that out. I'll, I'll uh, report back on that. But yeah, I think part of it was the the proof and some of it was the, it's inexpensive. I think that was part of it too. So um, yeah, so the, so the article itself, kind of another one of those not true, not false. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of a, a by the way or possibly, or, you know, they explain the mechanism that it opens up blood vessels, which allows flow, blood flow better and can, you know, aid in blah, blah, blah. So it's a lot of supposition, just like, again, just like most of these articles. Yeah. You know, and everyone wants to tout something as the panacea. You know, first it was nuts and and seeds. And, and really, if you talk to anybody who has some kind of digestive issues, nuts and seeds could be a killer, you know, if not in a literal sense, in the sense of the discomfort it puts you through. Um and, you know, there's, those things are high calories and people overeat that stuff all the time because they're being told it's it's so good for you. Well, you know, there's always downsides. You know, there's no th- that whole thing about there's too much of a good thing is true. Uh, so we just need to keep these things in mind when we read these articles. You know, a big part of my 
effort when I write stories, Dave, especially about <clears throat> supplements and nutritional issues is that we're being sold stuff with an agenda behind it. And you always have to have your hackles up. Your, you know, your, your warning signal has to be pretty acute and go off pretty easily because we're always trying to be sold something. Again, go back to this story we talked about with the diabetes drug, type 2 diabetes drug that's being used uh, for the obese. And now I read an article yesterday that it's triggering problem with people with disordered eating and eating disorders. So there's just always this push to, to come up with the cure-all, and then there's the damage these things do, and then there's the walking back of these claims, and then that's another problem we have to deal with. And the same people who have created this problem with their advice is trying to fix it with their with their advice. And that's where we are across the board. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of money to be made in confusion. And I think our, Great <laughs> phrase. our, our society doesn't um, exemplify that. I don't know. If people aren't paying attention to that. I don't know what will wake them up. But you, you you talked about articles, and you know what's funny. Kind of go back, and we, I want to move into that article you read. I really enjoyed reading it. Um, I always feel like you're talking to me sometimes because as you're talking about, you mentioned nuts. I'm looking at my side table here. I have a bowl has got almonds in it, Brazilian nuts, and pistachios with some raisins, and I kind of snack on those throughout the day. So I was I joke with you often. I said you're always ruining stuff for me. So well, you know what? I just know like I I I've done so so, so David, my thirty plus almost thirty five years of this. It's actually 35. Uh, I've tried all of these things because they were all the fad or the trend at the time. Whether it started when I started, Dave, it was no fat. And when I say no fat, I'm telling you, I was no fat, juicing, and I was 180 pounds and miserable, always tired, miserable. <clears throat> and then went through to the point now where I'm back on a more balanced plan, but definitely higher in the fat, the protein, lower. In, in carbs and I've cut the stuff I cut out I cut out the nuts because it was becoming to the point where I was eating so much of them a I felt that it was affecting my my body composition negatively and b my stomach and my you know digestion was messed up and that that if you read about eating nuts and seeds that's definitely one of the, the possibilities from that and and the other thing that's gone hand in hand with the, this over the last five or ten years is the intermittent fasting and fasting, which has been shown to be somewhat effective in helping people lose weight. But long-term, there are hormonal profile issues that outweigh a lot of the positives that can come from uh, doing the, the, um, the, the intermittent fasting. What's the purpose of fasting? Do you know, like, I know, sir. I mean, I, you know what, there's a, I, there's just, you could read so much. And, and basically these articles start off with fasting can help you lose weight and then basically go from there. I mean, I, I think ultimately, Dave, because you're, most people that fast are going to eat less because they're not going to make up that difference if they don't eat until noon. I know people firsthand and have seen people firsthand who continue to fast despite the fact that it's not being effective with their body composition. And I, I don't care what somebody weighs. If you lose weight, but lose muscle, then you're making yourself less healthy. So in this situation, we are, we've discussed this on all the shows across the board where we're not getting enough protein. We're getting stories all the time about people over 40 and over 50 losing muscle. We're not getting enough of these certain nutrients. It's because we're under eating and we're under eating certain things. And obviously with the obese, we're overeating things. So we have this 
upside down, topsy-turvy situation. So in my opinion, and, and if you look at a lot of the research, the fasting gives you some positive in, uh, improvements in your blood profile and such. But the other studies have shown long-term, there are negative hormonal responses to it, especially in women. So you've got to, again, be careful. If you're going to fast, say there, there was a lot of stuff, but if you're going to fast and you need 2000 calories a day and you're not going to eat until noon, nothing is going to change the fact that you need to eat the 2000 calories from noon until the time you go to bed. If you're only eating 15 or 1600 calories, that 400 calorie, 500 calorie deficit over a week is a substantial amount of under eating. And if you're under eating protein, you're not only going to lose that weight, but you're going to lose the muscle that you want to keep to maintain a healthy metabolism. And like I said, I can tell you firsthand, I've seen the things people put themselves through to go, quote, keto and how they're losing weight, but they've lost muscle. And you could just see their physique has suffered from not having enough protein and not having enough calories. And again, I can't see the hormonal response, but when you read the stories and the studies about what the hormonal responses are, they're not positive. Yeah. And in keto, just kind of for kind of a quick one for the audience, what's keto? No, keto is the concept. You're not eating any carbs. Yeah. So you're going to eat high fat, high protein. I, I think it's, I, I kind of ignore the high fat. I'm looking at protein. And if you're eating a lot of protein, you'll get the right amount of fat. There are people on this keto train that go on the fat content rather than the protein content. It, it, that We're splitting hairs there. That's kind of a wonky discussion to have, but I think you could, you could look at it that way. There's people, I, when I say keto in a general sense, I'm, I'm thinking of staying away from processed carbs and not eating um, garbage and eating a lot of protein. And as a result of the protein, you're going to get the proper amount and the right type of fat. So keto is this movement to get rid of carbohydrates, which again, um, it, it's going overboard. That's a good example of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. You had mentioned people losing muscle as they get older. I know I want to get to the article too, but I actually texted you late last night. It was probably right around midnight. And I happened to see that um, the scissor kick that you were doing on Instagram. Right. You give us, I mean, and for people who want to see it, I will give your Instagram account at the end of the show, but kind of what were you doing there? Because as visual as you can make this in our audio show, um, what were you kind of explain what you were doing, the exercise and, and why is that important? Well, let's go back to one of my main premises for everything I do is that we're training movements. We're not training muscles. We're training specific things that transfer to the field, to the court. So my focus is training the nervous system because the nervous system is what sends the messages out to the body. And once your nervous system is trained, your muscles take the commands. So we're in this position, this situation where we're training muscles and like, let's stick with baseball here. We're training muscles by doing bench press and curl and deadlift and squat and other worse movements with weight. And then we're going out onto the field and performing in a manner that doesn't resemble those lifts, either actually in how you perform it and how your body responds to the signals. Again, picture um, a guy or a girl in softball lacing one into the gap and having to pivot and sprint to first and, and round first base and get to second 
versus a squat or a deadlift. One is fast, one is slow. One is with feet planted on the ground squarely. One is with your feet in who knows what position and you're rotating, sprinting, and going from zero to full acceleration in a minute. So we have all of these things going on. So in the split squat jump that you see, that's at the end of a long progression of training my nervous system and my client's nervous systems so that their body can produce that. If you could take someone who's a heavy squatter and make them try to do that, it's ugly because most of the things they do are at a slow speed. So, you know, in a nutshell, what I'm, that's the outcome. You know, there's an old saying, it's the glory, it's the, what's it, the glorious results of a misspent youth. And in my case, a misspent youth and adulthood, you know, because all I do is train quickly. Uh, train the body to move quickly and as quick as possible. And that's what I do with most of my athletes. So you're in like a lunge position and you're jumping. And rather than starting with your right foot forward, jumping in the air and then landing in a lunge position with your left foot forward, I'm starting with my right foot forward in a lunge position with my left foot back and jumping up and cycling or scissoring my leg. So my left foot goes forward. And before I hit the ground, my right foot is back in front and I land in the position that I took off the ground. in. Yeah. I was impressed with that. That was, you had some hops and then you, you did it full regular speed and then you slowed it down for the, the viewer to kind of see what, how the body's moving. Cause it's, it's hard to see, obviously when you're doing it quick, I, it made me do a double take and then I saw it again with the slow motion, but that was impressive. That was explosive. And it was, I mean, you landed just as balanced as when you took off. And, you know, it takes a lot. And, you know, that's what, Dave, how many things? So so here's, again, we have this little back and forth. So when you look at someone's squat, are, are there many things that you see on this, let's say, the basketball court that resemble that, a no. squat? But maybe, how about what? Maybe what, a blockout, maybe a, the initial phase of a blockout when you're. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. and But you're still moving and you're not squared and you're kind of, ro- you could be rotated. But yes, I agree. And then how about the split squat jump that what is that does that res- more resemble something that might happen in sport uh yeah i mean you're you're it's you're constantly off balance in sport in terms of um one leg having to support the body more than another leg and i thought that, to me that was it was it trained as you said trained your nervous system and i tried it right after that i shouldn't have tried it at midnight but, <laughs> yeah but yeah, I mean, it's hard because it's in your head already. Like I've got to get off the ground and you've got to have strong hips. Uh, but I think it worked as I, as I did it, it worked hips. It worked f- like flexion of feet and Achilles. It worked uh, from a North South department. It worked, you know, my back leg balance. Cause you had to, I almost had to push off a little bit with the toes and the back leg. And then to, to move your legs like that in the air, it's hard to put it into one motion because constantly I'll just use basketball well, I mean, baseball too. You're always f- working to try to get on balance and the yeah. more ways that you can train your body and what's, which is not a normal position. Like we're not, I'm not standing like that ever during the day. It's, it's a vulnerable position, especially if you're not trained that way. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, as soon as I went down on that single leg lunge, I felt vulnerable. I was like, okay, how the heck am I going to get up? You know, how am I going to get up like you did anyway? But, and, and that's part of the progression because you, you're in that. And then part of what we're trying to do there, you don't really see it too much in the video, but I always train my athletes, your heels should never hit the ground. And we've talked about this in a text string this morning that had to do with Scott Rowland, his little video about how he positioned himself at third base and how he was always on the balls of his feet. 
And when you run, you know, you, you want to be in that position as well. So when when we get our clients and I get my athletes to the point where they're A, strong enough, B, aware enough, and C, able to do that in that setting, we're concentrating on the ball of the foot being the main point of contact, especially on that front foot. Your back foot, you can't have your heel down at all. You have right. to start with the fully extended ankle with your heel way up. And the front foot, it, it could be, it's subtle enough where it could be like, you know, a, a piece of cardboard under, a, the width of a piece of cardboard under your your heel, but you don't want it to be flat on the ground because you want to get that drive off of the front of your foot because that's how your foot should work when you're jumping, when you're running, when you're landing, et cetera. Yeah, you're you're in that position quite a bit when you're so when you're when you're coming off of a screen in basketball, how you were positioned, that's kind of what you're like. You have one foot forward, you're low, uh, you try to get your shoulder down by the hip of the screener, and you're you're paused for a little bit, not not to a complete stop, but paused to where you've got to explode forwards. Now you're not jumping in the air, but you've got to explode forwards with a cut. You got to be able to to go laterally toward that outside shoulder. Um, excuse me, almost perpendicular to the screen, or you've got to go back from when she came. You know, it'd be a little Shakespearean there. But, yep. uh, so it's that position itself, I think is important just in that one component. Same thing with rebounding. I mean, you're always, you're, you're always dealing with physicality. You're always dealing with um, small spaces and you've, you've got to be able to maneuver that way. And same with shooting. I mean, we just went through that outside with my kids with their morning workouts with basketball. And it's, it's all about being in small spaces um, with contact and in most cases fighting for your balance um, point. And yep. so, yeah, I, I love that. I, I love that. I saw it and I was like, oh, he's killing me. At night, at night. And that move serves as the baseline for now a new level of higher level uh, difficulty skills. And you could think, you know, most and, and most of the things we do, even at the high end are in that that's we're in the sagittal plane there where you're moving forward and back. We need to get to that where there's a couple of things from there. We change where the arms go. That could be one thing we do. You could keep your arms across, your hands across your shoulders. You could put your arms over your head and try to do that same thing. Then what what we could do is try to do a one-legged variety of that, which I'm trying to rattle around in my head how to do. And then you have to do it so you're not just doing it in that strict frontal plane. How can we do it where there's a slight diagonal, lateral, and rotational component to that? That's how my mind works. That's great that we're doing that, but there are more difficult positions that put the body in jeopardy that I'm trying to train. One, I'll, let's, I'll give you one more thing, and then we can move on to the next article. But my, my thought is for as much of the things that I do that are different, there are still positions the body gets in in sport where it's in jeopardy and we don't train in those positions enough to help make the body a little more resilient and again we talked about you're never going to prevent injury but if we could mitigate the risk a, risk a little bit we're, we're ahead of the game so my goal is to get the body in a position and really Dave the biggest position of risk for most of these injuries whether it's a a groin back hamstring pull or a ACL is in the rotational plane change of direction plane that's my mindset I'm going to the next thing with that move will be how do I incorporate a change of direction a rotation uh, a single leg aspect because that's where the body's in jeopardy if you watch the Tennessee game the other night in the first minutes of the game I believe it was their great point guard 
uh, drove the baseline and planted, just planted his left, I believe it was his left leg, and his ACL snapped. Non-contact, a basic plant, change of direction, deceleration, because we don't train the body in those positions enough. Yeah. I liked it for, and I want to get to the arm, I liked it for baseball also because as a fielder, you know, you, you want to develop strong hips and legs um, by fielding the baseball. I know we can get into this next show where Ted Kubiak had challenged us to come up with supplemental ways to become a better fielder. How does our workouts, how, what kind of workouts can we design to help the fielder become um, better at what he does or she does in softball? And I liked it for hitting too, because hitting is all about balance. And you, you'll hear anybody say that. What's the most important thing? Tony Wynn will say, outside of getting a good pitch to hit, it's being balanced. And Well, uh, the secret to changing this, uh, Dave, will be guys like Ted. And from Ted to me to the guy your age to the guys that are playing, there's got to be this movement that says, wait a minute, we've been led down the wrong path. And we're being led down the wrong path. And I'm fortunate enough in my practice to have – four or five young high-level athletes who recognize that and are working with me to actively change how uh, athletes, young athletes train, recognizing going to the, to the colleges and the professional teams and the, the guys that are in charge and the girls that are in charge in these positions, it's not going to change it. We have to get the athlete to be in charge of what they do. It's their body. And if we can educate the athlete about the way to properly prepare themselves, we can counteract a lot of this negative training that's being done. Yeah. Well, um, that kind of segues us into the article. You wrote a wonderful article for Ball Nine, who we try to support on this show too. Wonderful friends of ours. They do the same with us. And uh, it, it was about really about accountability and uh, precursors to arm injuries in Major League Baseball right now. Could you share a little bit about that and get into that? Yeah, so I wrote this back in uh, in 2020, um, and it was when we were getting the, the, the year-end stats for all the Tommy John surgeries. And the title of the piece, um, and the guys at Bull and I were great that they, you know, in, in, indulged me and, and had me write some stuff for them. It's, it's titled, Can't Anyone Build a Bridge Anymore? And my theory or my my kind of angle was imagine if and I'll just I'll just read a couple of lines real quickly I don't want to read too much because it gets boring but the concept is imagine you wake up tomorrow and you get a news alert on your phone that says modern bridges some that have been built as recently or two or three years ago are suffering catastrophic structural failures that require major repairs and that these bridges need to be shut down for at least a year these bridges are not relics from the past century or two that have seen stresses and strains of growing populations and increased traffic loads, but new bridges designed and built with what is supposed to be the most advanced technology and methods that have ever been available to man. And not only are these bridges failing, but the bridge experts have no valid explanations for why these brand new bridges are breaking down. More frightening is that many of these bridges are failing without any warning signs. Rush hour Monday, everything is fine. Rush hour that night and the bridge fails. A bridge that never had a day of trouble for 15 years, one day experiences the failure. And that no one has the, and I go on, I say, when you get the analysis, no one has any answers. And at the same time, they, the same people ignore the Brooklyn Bridge and the Golden Gate Bridge and the Verrazano Bridge, which have been standing for years holding loads up that are unfathomable, especially when you look at the Brooklyn Bridge. If you've read anything about the Brooklyn Bridge, 
they had no idea what that bridge would be used for in the future, and yet it's able to hold up to the stress. So I basically use this comparison to what's happening with pitchers in baseball and how today we have all these guys out there running around and they're ignoring the successes of generations past. You know, I specifically mentioned the Mets, the Orioles, and the Dodgers who had, and there are others, but who had tremendous success in developing workhorses who put up amazing statistics. And, and, and it's just a shame because I say, you know, it's rather than look to the past for the solution, you know, people that do what I do, for a lot of people that do what I do for a living, refuse to even acknowledge that that is the case, that, that, is, that there's a problem and that the, the, the solution lies in the past. Yeah, I, I loved. I like the analogy of the bridges. I thought that was that was a. It gave me a great visual and put it in context because when you when you talk about the past, the guys in the past, and we have Jim Cott that does a show for us. Scott McGregor was on the other day. All the pitchers that we have come on will tell you that they weren't heavy in the weight training, but for some reason they their bodies and their minds were trained to go longer and they were more durable. And nobody will argue against the fact that today's athletes, based on visual and the output, they can. You know, that they put out there that they have we they are better physical stronger more athletes today than before but somehow they're not durable so something has got to give here well we talked about it it's it's i think it's a couple of simple things get them out of the weight room and stop having kids pitch all year round i have four great young baseball players i work with you're working with two of them yeah. on the college end and you know um none of them are pitchers but they're all doing these things with their team mates that were telling them not to do, you know, I still hear them talk about, they did bicep curls and they did bench pressing. And at some point that's going to mess their arm up, but they're going to do it because the know nothings that coach the sport are still in, uh, still encouraging young guys to do that. So well, you know, it, it's a shame. Well, you talked in the article about some precursors and you mentioned bicep being one of them, the tightness bicep, um, scapulas, uh, lats. I mean, what are some precursors that kids out there listening, parents, coaches can kind of pay attention to if they are down the wrong path, maybe that can give them a little ding, ding, ding. They should stop. Well, well the, the, there's the, so the show. I can't, Dave, you'd be shocked. The two things I've talked about and I'm, I stammer because it's, I'm incredulous that I get 15, 16, 17, actually as, as young as 10 and 12 year old athletes that have the ankle mobility of a you know, a sedentary senior citizen, a one and a two, you know, your ankles should be a five or a four with no imbalances. I'm getting kids with a one with ones and twos from side to side, which means their ankle doesn't bend. And all these kids have knee problems. Baseball players come to me with the same thing on a scale. Your, your shoulder should be a three on a scale of zero to three. Zero is if you have pain and I have ones and a good, a good simple test is, uh, stand with your hands out in a T, right? So you're standing up, feet are together, your arms are extended, you're making a fist or you're making fists with both hands and you're putting your thumb inside the fist. And in one smooth movement, you're reaching behind your neck, behind your head and behind your back. And you want to see how close you can get those hands together. And that's a good uh, range of, uh, that's a good test for shoulder mobility. And you know, the distance between your hands should be equal to the length of your hand from the base of your palm to the tip of your middle finger. We'll have to do a visual of that. Except my, when they're starting to do that at some of these 
these camps that my kids are going to, which is a good sign, but it's, you know, it's, it's not really explained well to the parents and I understand what it's doing, but I would say 98% of the parents there just see it as another, you know, novelty. And then, you know, of course they try to upcharge for some program they're doing to increase. Well, yeah, your- and they're still bench pressing them and having them lift weights. So that the, the, there's, I, um, well, with the basketball player I had that you sent that came to me, uh, ones on both shoulders. And the first question I ask when I get that, are you bench pressing? And the answer is always what? Yes, yeah. I am. So I'm like, you got to stop bench pressing. It's doing nothing for you. Yeah. You know, so you, we, we're getting that. You, so that that that's a diagnostic tool that's part of the functional movement screen, functional movement system, FMS. Um, and it's a good it's a good starting point. But so when these places are doing it, what's their remedy? What are they doing with it? You know, a lot of these places are collecting information. It's what are you doing with the information that is uh, important? Yeah, no, it's, that's super important for these kids to do. And I, and I think that's the big disconnect between all the input we see out there, whether it's food and nutrition or we talk to whiskey or, um, you know, some of the exercises that they're seeing from YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Parents just can't tell the difference, nor can the kids. So they just follow, basically. Um, what and and I'd, I'd mention this give just give a couple of the precursors with the you know I think you mentioned dead arm too what are some of the things that in your article you 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 mentioned that kids if they you know if you if you're feeling this outside of the lack of mobility what is uh what are some things that would be cues to just maybe stop what you're doing and reset well the big, the big thing these days and I think it's because of the um emphasis on velocity is the lat lat strain <clears throat> the lat tightness or the lat strain, because the lat, your latissimus muscle, which goes like under your armpit down to, it's attached, ultimately it attaches way down by your hip, um, that stabilizes the shoulder and the throwing motion. So if, if something is sore, that's a stabilizer, usually it means it's being overworked because there's a couple of things that could be going on and they could be different or they could be, both things could be going on. You could have bad range, you could be overdoing it or and, or and overthrowing, and those things could be combinations of. And mostly because of the thousands of athletes I've seen, you're going to get shoulder mobility issues in three quarters of the kids you, you test. It's a combination of those things, overuse and, uh, and poor range of motion. So a tight lat is a problem. Um, you know, you've gotten that forearm tightness, which – when you read it, it's like, okay, let's set the let's set the timer until we get the Tommy John surgery issue because the of the of the structure of that um, ligament and the throwing motion and how the pitcher uses their wrist and how the ball releases out of the hand and the stress is put on the elbow, especially if these guys throwing have again shoulder range issues. It's like my bad ankle kids have knee issues and hip issues. So your bad shoulder client is going to have elbow issues your and lat issues. It's above and below. That's just how things work. And obviously the ankle, there's nothing really below it. So most problems from ankles move up the chain. And then of course, there's the old Dizzy Dean example of he broke his toe, changed his delivery. So when he planted, it didn't hurt his toe and he ruined his arm. So if there, there's a great example, too, of how something seemingly minor and inconsequential can have catastrophic results. 
Yeah, you, you see that a lot with kids who have a let's say an ACL surgery. They're you know they're favoring the one the other, they're favoring the one leg, putting ridiculous pressure on the other, and now the other one gets hurt. It's, well, the, the thing we've seen, I have a buddy who who has a he, he is a PT and he does performance training. He will send me videos of his post ACL clients, patients, and almost to a kid, and they're all kids, whether it's young, it's a shame, but middle school, high school, or college, that we even have to say that, middle school, high school. When he shows me their single leg work, the leg that had the surgery is better. They have better mechanics on the surgical leg. And the reason is the other side was the problem. So the surgic, the leg that wound up being the surgical leg was the one doing extra work. Oh, so, so he'll send me he'll he'll send me videos. And when he first started sending me, I'm like, oh, well, that's, you know, and he's like, no, it's not the it's not the non-surgical leg. The surgical leg has better mechanics because that's the leg that's been picking up the slack for the other side. So they're stable on the side they had the surgery from. It's not because of the surgery. And when you watch them on their non-surgical side in the single leg stuff, they're terrible whether it's they have lack of control, whether they have lack of range of motion, whether it's a combination of those things. So that's what's going on in these young kids. And it comes from that in ankle, lack of range, ankle um, in, inequity from side to side, and shoulder issues too. Yeah, no, that's great information. You, we loaded our audience up today a ton. Just real quick, I know I've kept you for over 40 minutes. I know you got clients to see today, but... Um, as far as ankle mobility, what are some things that kids can or shouldn't be doing to, to improve their ankle? I know footwear is one of the things you, you harp footwear on. Footwear is, you know, but, but there's some maintenance that you could do, like the old school calf stretch, you know, where you put your hands up against the fence like you're going to push a car, like you're trying to push something heavy. The back leg is extended. It's straight. Your back foot is flat, so your back heel is flat on the ground. And you want to make sure that back foot is really straight. A lot of people do that move. Say, so say you've got your, your right leg back and they have that right foot splayed out so their toe is actually at 2 o'clock instead of being at 12 o'clock. You want to have that back foot straight, drive that back heel into the ground to try to stretch your calf. Um, that, that simple calf stretch can alleviate a lot because everyone I have that has bad ankles has uh, tremendously tight calves. And then there's uh, three muscles that run down the outside of your shin that one attaches high up right by your knee. If you put your hand between your shin and um, and where your knee where your knee is, there's a notch, and then there's that groove where you have that those muscles that run down. Those are called the peroneus muscles. There's three of them: a, a one that starts up high, one that connects middle, and the one that starts down around your ankle, and they wrap around your feet. You can kind of in a sitting position, put your hands and squeeze those. They should not be sore to the touch. Those muscles, if they're tight, are going to affect your ankle mobility as well. So there's a lot of soft tissue work that you can do that can help free up the ankle. And even what about the side to side? Because I know you're talking about flexibility. The normal, most people, I don't even think work on that with the flexibility, um, if I'm saying it properly, kind of the side flexibility with the ankle. Right, like like you're rolling it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, at the ankle. I do the ankle circles with my clients. I'll have them, you know. And then the old thing was just used for 
uh, an ankle sprain, but it should be you could just you could just trace the alphabet with your toe. Yeah. You know, or just do circles, do figure eights. That's a great way to loosen up and get your ankle. But if the muscles above are tight, um, that's going to restrict the ankle. And then, you know, the other thing, Dave, is and I know when I was a kid, you had a sprained ankle. You had to tape it up and get back out there. Whereas if you did something to your knee to this day, they're much more cautious. Those, those bad ankle sprains that went unattended or were kind of like sloughed off as being, ah, come back, tape it up. Those had long. Those have long-term ramifications. Uh, every kid, even these young kids, I get. The one kid had a stress fracture in his foot. He's ten years old. He had a stress fracture in his foot. I asked him what what happened on this one side. Did you do something that it's only a one? And the answer was, yeah, he's he fra- he had a stress fracture in it, or he fractured it skiing or something. Huh. Well, I think that's good information for the kids out there too. That's often goes neglected. Uh, the little stuff and the little stuff, as you said, you know, even using the the. Uh, the Dizzy Dean uh, comment that, you know, once you injure something, you start compensating it in other areas and it's a snowball effect. So I, uh, I you gave a ton today, so I appreciate you busting it out at 930 on a Friday morning. Um, hopefully you got enough juice left for your clients today. Oh, yeah. I know that they, uh, your batteries never run out. I saw that. Like I said, I saw that last night at 12 o'clock post on Instagram. I'm like, what is that guy? I'll tell you. Um, what, where can our audience find you? Where, where can they? So, uh, on Twitter, I am at Sal Marinello on my Instagram. I am coach Sal's playmakers all together. Um, that Dave, you know what? I'm treating that like my website, you know, I websites to me are no one has time for it. So people ask me like, can I go to your website? I say, go to my Instagram because you're going to see the things I do that I do myself, I practice what I preach. Uh, I'm not bragging, but I'm going to tell people I'm 60 years old. So you go and watch that, watch those videos and tell me, tell me that they don't work. Tell me that when you look at my athletes who are professional lacrosse players, I have a kid that's going to play in the Canadian football league who I had since he was a 14 year old through division one football and high level high school football. And these young kids, I'm trying to get on the straight and narrow, just go and, watch what I do and hear what I do. I put up little short videos a couple of times a week, waxing philosophic. Sometimes it's something I've talked about in the podcast. Uh, so my, I treat, I'm treating my, I, and I've gotten to the point where I'm telling people I'm not, I'm not going to have a website. Go to my Instagram. And I have a web, uh, I'm sorry, I have a um, substack. It's coachsalm.substack.com. Um, I fit, I have fits and starts with that. I'll write a lot. Then I kind of take a break. Sometimes I'll just post the podcast there, but really the, the Instagram is the way to go. Great. Well, we appreciate what you do here and certainly building the IQs of our audience. It's, it's, it's a different look and we try to put, you know, the kid in the middle, the sport in the middle and just kind of 360 around it. So we appreciate your contribution to that. And for our show, over 13,000, say 13,001, as we tuned in our recording here today, it should raise with this episode uh, exponentially. So we're excited about that, but continue to support us. Download, listen, like, subscribe. You can find us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Um, We'll continue to put out great content for you. We actually have three new potential podcasters coming on board with us next week, um, which we're excited about. People keep wanting to be a part of this and wanting to get their voice out there. So Real Voice of the Game Productions, The Hot Corner with Coach Sal. This is episode 131. 
And Sal, have a great day. Great job today, bud. I appreciate you. Thanks, Dave. See you soon.